the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know. This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word. Here's your host, Bob Bender. Thank you, Matt West, my producer. What a great job he does. Punches the buttons. Let me know when I'm on. Couldn't make it without him. What a joy it is to serve the Lord here at 100.7 The Word. And you do get the word here. You get encouragement, and you get to be equipped and challenged as well as, hey, a little enjoyment along the way. Well, thanks for joining me this Friday afternoon in your home, where you're headed home, at the office, wherever you are. You're going to hear a wonderful, wonderful story today, one perhaps you've heard, perhaps you haven't, that'll change your life. Well, I'm praying through Numbers, and I'm through Numbers 33 today, where the Lord says to Moses and the children of Israel, And you shall take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given the land to you to possess. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, they will become as pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land you live. And we're reminded of Deuteronomy 1, verses 2 and 3. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, and it came about in the 20th year. And so the children of Israel crammed 11-day trip into 40 years. And once they got in there, God said, now you have to drive out the inhabitants so they'll become as pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides. They'll trouble you. Of course, the story of Egypt and the wandering wilderness and Canaan is a picture, uh, a picture, the New Testament picture of us as we look back into the Old Testament story. Egypt, the story of our lostness in bondage, the wilderness wanderings, a story when we are carnal, when we let the inhabitants of the land influence us. And then Canaan is not heaven. Canaan's a spirit-filled life. When we get there, we then can enjoy all the Lord has for us. Are you possessing what the Lord has gifted you? Because if you don't, they'll trouble you. The things of this world, the things of the flesh, things of the devil, they will trouble you. So get your victory over the things of the world, and you can enjoy Canaan, the spirit-filled life, and victory over our enemies. In fact, there's another verse that says, I didn't, I didn't eradicate all of the enemies in Canaan for you second-generation people so that you may learn warfare. So we continue to learn warfare, and the victory is ours in Jesus. Lord, give us the strength daily to overcome and inhabit the land you, by your grace, blessing has given to us. Amen and amen. Well, this afternoon, we're going to talk about the table. 
the table. You heard about the guy, the associate sitting around the table, the conference table, and the CEO comes and sits beside him and doesn't sit at the head of the table. And the associate speaks to the CEO and he said, sir, I believe your place is at the head of the table. And the CEO turned to him and said, son, wherever I sit is the head of the table. So, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, if you've got a boss, just let him sit where he wants to, and you will uh, be blessed, so will he. And I have a philosophy. Whenever I have uh, an adversarial meeting with someone in a room or even at a restaurant, when I know this is, this is going to perhaps or probably going to be a, a, a conflict time, guess what? I, I never sit across the table. I always sit beside them. Because when you're sitting across the table, the table becomes somewhat of a barrier. So have that thought in mind. And the third thing that comes to my mind when I talk about a table, we had our our youth pastor, Chris Wall, over at our house one time in Oklahoma, and he was bringing glasses of tea uh, to put them on the table on a tray. And one of the glasses of the tea tipped over, and that glass spun in the air and, bam, landed upside down on the table. Can you believe it? With barely any tea spilt at all, we wouldn't believe it hadn't seen it. So what do we do now? We have this big glass of tea upside down on the table, and of course we got a bucket and slid the glass over to the side, and and uh, and the tea went in the bucket. But anyway, memories around the table. Think about it. What are your memories? I was raised in the fifties and sixties. The Bender fam of six ate dinner around the table every evening. Mom would make a salad, sometimes that old green jello salad with grated carrots and chunks of cream cheese floating around in it. We'd have a veggie, we'd have a meat, and most nights, dessert. Now that is except Sundays when our main meal was at noon and off to church that night to come home to cereal and toast in front of the TV watching Bonanza, What's My Line, and Candid Camera, beginning at 8 o'clock and going to bed at 10. You ask, well, what about Wonderful World of Disney? Never saw a single episode. I mean, we were spiritual, we were religious, we were in church every Sunday night. Well, I digress. The memories I had around the table were momentous, in addition to the ones I've just mentioned. One of the first pieces of furniture we bought as newlyweds, I believe it was a guilt offering because I forgot my wife's birthday, was a dining room table. One of those round oak ones with claw feet, you know, weighs 3,000 pounds. And when our fam grew and couldn't sit around that table, I cut it in half horizontally and it became a low coffee table. You see, the table was significant when we raised our children in that environment. In our church in Oklahoma, our dining room table had a a room, had a bay window in front of the table. And during our first year there, church members would drive by to check on their new pastor's home. And they'd peer from the street through their car and would just wave at them as they drove by slowly. Well, our fam has fond memories of great fun and good food around the table. In fact, in our home here in Colorado Springs, we have an outdoor table in our backyard that seats 22, custom-made just for that space, so our 20 family members who live in town can gather 
around it monthly as we do. We, like you, host friends at our table as well because that's just what we do. And I I believe back to the family around the table, I believe that is a missing element. Could I encourage you to eat your dinner around the table, not at the bar beside each other, but the table around each other and build those memories because there's just something about sitting at a table. Beverly and I were in Crested Butte with some friends, and there was a big table, table, a big family, three or four, uh, at least two generations, probably three, around the table, and it was the grandfather's birthday. And so you could tell the big birthday bash. They didn't sing happy birthday or anybody. We just overheard, over, overheard to talk about. And the grandchild at one end of the table was texting <laughs> her grandfather at the other end of the table. Boy, what is it? What does it come to taking our taking our phones to the dining room table? Well, leave, leave your phone and build those memories because that's what a table is for. Well, the table in Scripture is also very significant. God has designed us to be in fellowship with our Father and one another around a table from the table of the showbread in the tabernacle and the temple to God preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies, to your children seated like olive plants around your table in Psalms, to the father seeking the prodigal to join him at the table of the fatted calf, to Jesus, friend of sinners, seated at the table at Matthew's party, to the table of the Last Supper, and then finally at the marriage supper of the Lamb table. That's going to be heaven. The table in Scripture, very, very important. So today, I want to talk to you about a tale of the table in the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is predictive, and the New Testament fulfills it. The Old Testament's a shadow, the New Testament the substance. The Old Testament the illustration, the New Testament the principle, and the Old Testament Israel, and the New Testament the church. And so this story from the Old Testament is going to resonate with you. And if you apply it to your life, we'll change it. So listen as we return about a tale of the table. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7, The Word. Welcome back. We're talking about tables. Uh, I guess we could say we're having a table talk. Debbie Titus has written a book, The Table Experience, a must-read for anyone who is enthralled with this concept and the importance of it in your life, in your family, and in your community of believers. The table is very important in the New Testament world, where they would gather around the tables, have the Lord's Supper, and, and just have more fun than Christians ought to have, and that's the way we ought to be as well. A tale of the table. This tale first of all, is one of my boss's favorite stories and favorite principles. So, Chris Gould, this is for you, sir. This tale commences in 1 Samuel 20, where David, the future king, and Jonathan, Saul's son, make a covenant because of their mutual loyalty. Here, Jonathan tells David, Now, after the dust settles and your king, vow to me that you won't kill my children, which was a common custom in antiquity to kill all remaining threats that existed to the throne. David says, why, certainly I'll vow that vow. 
and he does. This tale of the table continues later in 2 Samuel 4.4, where the news of the deaths of Saul and Jonathan reaches the house of Jonathan. A nurse, in her haste to flee, ostensibly to save an heir to the throne, accidentally drops Jonathan's son. The result of this tragic fall was that he became lame in both feet at age five. His name, perhaps you know it, Mephibosheth, referred to affectionately from now on as Fib. This tale of the table culminates in Second Samuel 9, where we find ourselves at a place of the table for Fib. David is now king, with most of the house of Saul dead, including all of Jonathan's sons, except one. David honors his earlier vow to Jonathan to be kind and not to kill any threats to his throne, so he asks his court, Is there anyone from Saul's house to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because remember, he made that vow. A servant named Ziba from Saul's house replies, There is a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet, which being interpreted means, This lame, this cripple is not worth your effort, so just move on. Fib lived in exile in a God-forsaken place called Lodibar, meaning no bread. So Mephibosheth means son of shame. So you have a lame named son of shame living in a place called no bread under a death sentence as a potential competitor to the throne. I mean, this guy has absolutely nothing going for him. He has has a loser written all over him. So David sends messengers to get Fib and to bring him from Lodibar to Jerusalem. He had been living in secrecy, cared by others. He was cared for by others, and one day he hears a knock at the door with a message from King David. The king wants to see you. He could not run. He could not fight. And he could not hide any longer. He was busted, not knowing, you see, of the covenant his father Jonathan and David had made. He realizes that after all these years, David had finally found out where he lives, and death had caught up with him and his son, Micah. The same cold chill that he remembered as a five-year-old running for his life over 15 years ago now envelops him like a thick fog. He makes the two-and-a-half-day journey from Lodibar, no bread, to Jerusalem, city of peace. However, Fib is certain that with each step he is helped to take, remember he's lame, the only piece he's going to see is a piece of his head being lopped off. Upon arriving in David's court, Fib falls on his face before the king, for obvious reasons. David calls him by name, son of shame, do not fear because that was exactly what Fib was doing, fearing for his life, and rightfully so. David went on to tell him the purpose of his bringing him there 
I am going to show kindness to you, restore all Saul's land to you, and oh, by the way, you will eat at my table regularly, as if you were a member of my own kingly family. Fib couldn't believe it. Was this some kind of cruel joke? He responds to David, Why should you do this for a dead dog like me? Dead dog, a fitting name for anyone who opposed David, as all his opponents were dead, like Goliath and his grandfather Saul. Fib is amazed that David, the king of Israel, would extend such privileges to a lame heir to the throne. He knew he certainly did not deserve such loving kindness, as in his weaker moments he wanted David dead, so Israel's throne would be his. But Fib is shocked, humbled, and grateful. So our tale of the table ends. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Second Samuel 9.13 Meal after meal the food was not served at the king's table until they heard the clump-shuffle, clump-shuffle of Fib's crutches and legs. Lame arriving. Fib was sit down with the tablecloth covering his lame legs. What a beautiful picture. There sat Fib, a former outcast, lame in both feet, who enjoyed sitting at the king's table with the same privileges as David's sons, who, by the way, were healthy, looking, looking like Greek gods, seated around the table. He sits across from Absalom, mano a mano. Every meal, they say grace with the common Jewish blessing. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And every time grace was said, it reminded Fib that he was not only saying grace at the king's table, his was a saving grace at the king's table. Wow, what a story. Oh, but we're not finished yet, you see. Fib's story is your story. Fib's story is my story. You, like Fib, have been crippled by the fall of sin. Perhaps you're crippled because someone else dropped you, or at least you perceive they did, purposefully or accidentally. Maybe it was your parents, your spouse, your child, or someone else in your life. Maybe even another church has dropped you. Perhaps you even feel you've been dropped by God. Your, triple, your crippled state re- reflects your woundedness or brokenness and is God's reminder of His grace and forgiveness. You see, all of us, no matter what life experience or experiences have been crippled by our own fall. No, it's not others' faults. It's not God's fault. Therefore, just as one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all have sinned. You see, Adam's fall is your fall, as seen in Fib. And so our big idea today is this. We have a seat at the table 
because of what King Jesus has done for us. Think about it. We have a seat at the table because of what King Jesus has done for us. And we're going to unpack that when we return as we continue the story, A Tale of the Table in Your Place Edit. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7, The Word. Another sleepless night. Welcome back, team. We're talking about A Tale of the Table and how that Fibs story is your story and my story. And we all have a seat at the table because of what King Jesus has done for us. You see, you like Fib, son of shame, are full of guilt and shame without the King's grace. We all are losers without Jesus. You, like Fib, are living under the death sentence for the wages of sin is death. You, like Fib, live in a lonely life in a land called Lodibar, or no bread, where without Jesus you're starving for fellowship with God and others. That is, if you're honest enough to admit it. You, like Fib, have been under the covenant of the king all along, but you are living far beneath your heavenly privileges. You, like Fib, are a dead dog without the grace of the king. And like Fib, you should prostrate yourself before Almighty God, hoping for mercy. You, like Fib, have done nothing to deserve an invitation to the king's table, have done and have nothing to offer to the king. In fact, you had everything working against you, and you were working against him. You, like Fib, have been sought out by God by name and have been invited to the king's table. You, like Fib, are adopted into the king's family and treated just like any other family member. You, like Fib, still have a limp, a reminder of God's work in your life. It might be a scar, a memory, or a point of pain. Like Jacob, we all have a limp. You, like Fib, however, are covered by the tablecloth of God's grace. Christ became sin for you, and you get the righteousness of Christ over you. We trade our sin for his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal, friend. You, like Fib, need others to help you through life, others at the table to walk with you on your spiritual journey and help carry your burdens You, like Fib, are invited to the king's table, God's table of presence in your daily time with him, and at the table of fellowship and worship at your assembly of saints where you attend. You, like Fib, serve a king who is a covenant keeper and whose word is true. You, like Fib, enjoy the table where you celebrate your new identity, acceptance, fellowship, and love not only of the king, but of his children, having been adopted into his forever family. You, like Fib, when you finally come to the king's table, say to yourself, What kept me away so long from this table? This is awesome. I lived in Lodibar far too long. You, like Fib, each time you sit at his table of grace, 
here in this place, 100.7, or your place of worship, you're reminded that you are unworthy, but he makes you worthy because of his grace. You, like Fib, are to eat regularly at the king's table because you would starve if you didn't. That daily quiet, that DQT, daily quiet time, that WW, weekly worship, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. You, like Fib, are served self-sustaining food here at 100.7 or your place of worship, the Word of God, in the power of the Spirit of God, in the presence of the family of God. You, like Fib, have come a long way because of your king. You, like Fib, have come from being God's enemy to being God's friend. You have come from eating crumbs to eating cream, creme brulee. You, like Fib, have come from Lodi Bar, no, be- no bread, to all the bread you can eat at the king's table. You, like Fib, have come from being a nobody to becoming God's adopted child, a child of the king. You, like Fib, have come from fear of the king to faith in the king. And you, like Fib, have come from begging to bragging, from shame to grace, from failure to success, from hopelessness to hope, from no future to a limitless future, from rejection to acceptance, from aloneness to fellowship, and from death to life. And so Jesus invites you to his table of grace. Have you RSVP'd? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him or her and will dine with him or her, yes, around the table, and he or she with me. So would you take the advantage of this relationship with Jesus as he invites you to his table? You see, our time at the table and our tale of the table not only is a picture of our unity with Jesus, but there's a second aspect of the tale of the table, and that is community with others. Yes, your memories around a table aren't lonely memories. Well, some of them might be. I was a single adult for a season, never got so sick of going out to eat at a cross-the-street restaurant, never got so sick of steak in my life. I was so hungry for fellowship that I would go visiting each night from five to seven, kind of deceitfully. During the dinner hour, guess what? I never went hungry. Not only was I hungry for food, you see, I was hungry for fellowship. All of us are. We're not only invited to the king's table to fellowship with Jesus, you're invited to the king's table to fellowship with others. It's not just Jesus and you at the table, it's others and you at the table with Jesus. You can't do it on your own. That's why God created the table. Friend, Lone Ranger Christianity doesn't work. The reason why I know is because I tried it once. So think of your table experiences with significant others in your life. Arriving empty and leaving full of food, fun, fellowship, shared stories, praying together, making memories together, meeting new people, bonding with one another. Sounds just like church, doesn't it? Well... 
That's exactly what church is. Fellowship with one another. So what occurs at the table reflecting the sweet fellowship of the fellowship you enjoy at your church with some of the greatest people, really? You see, our fellowship is characterized not only at the table, unity with Jesus, community with others. Some of you over 50 may recognize the TV series of the 80s, Cheers, a bar. The theme song was, Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where people know that not everybody's the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Bars. What happens at bars? I've heard what happens there because I've only been in a bar once, and that was to witness. Really, they have a happy hour. It's a place of enjoyment. People are engaged in the same activity. There's acceptance without judgment. There's singing, intoxication by the spirits. People are influenced, although negatively, by what inebriation brings becoming someone else. And the bartender keeps confidences and even becomes a counselor. These are the same things that ought ought to happen in church. And so let's not let the devil steal what we can enjoy. Let's let the church be the church, a spiritual bar, if you will, where everybody knows your name and glad you came and you'll leave not the same. When we return, we'll conclude our time together. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7. The Word. Yes, indeed, here at 100.7, the Word, you'll always find the truths of Scripture and Jesus being lifted up. And that's what we are experiencing this evening, our little chat concerning a tale of the table, the story about Mephibosheth. Fib's story is your story and mine. And the principle is we have a place at the table of grace because of King Jesus. I hope you're humbled at that. I hope, hope you appreciate that. And you see, when we, when we quit wandering, W-O-N-D-E-R-I-N-G, we begin to wander. If you don't wonder, you're wander. So let's never, never, never get over the wander of what Jesus has done for us, inviting us to the table. Not only is it a table of grace and unity with Jesus, it's a table of community with one another. A Christian bar, if you will. You see, the devil isn't that creative. He just offers a poor counterfeit of the real deal. So at our table of fellowship, there is acceptance without judgment and singing and intoxication of the Holy Spirit, and people are influenced, become somebody else, and the bartender 
those who tend us, keep confidences and become our counselor as we sit at the table with others. Peter at Pentecost, when they were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2.15, says, These men are not drunk. But he didn't stop there. He says, These men are not drunk, as you suppose. He didn't say they weren't drunk. He just said they weren't drunk like you think. They were, as it were, drunk on the Spirit, the very thing Paul commands us to be in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. So we are to be influenced by the Holy Spirit of God in our happy hour, even in this happy hour with you. Be a part of a community of fellowship. If you don't have one, come to Cross Fellowship Church, and it will change your life. Jess Moody's written a book, A Drink at Joel's Place, and so... Peter quotes Joel in Acts 2, and let's drink of the Spirit together, community with one another, at the table. Francis Chan did a video once about a gang member who became a Christian, and the gang member became a part of the church, and he he talked to Francis, and he said, I... I'm I'm disappointed, you know, in my my gang, we stuck together, we ate together, we had each other's back, we were united in fighting our enemy. I, I was hoping that the church would be like that in a good kind of way. And he said, you know, I I I I long for my gang. Well, team, I I guess we're not only supposed to be a spiritual bar, we're supposed to be a spiritual gang. Every time we gather, stick together, eat together, have each other's back, death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. Let's don't be breathing death on people. Let's bring life on people. Help them to be accepted in the Beloved. One time, a couple in our church, I encouraged them to go be a part of a life group, and they came back, and they tried one this 15, 20 years ago, and uh, they said, uh, you know, I, we, we tried to get in a life group, but it's like we had to elbow our way into that closed group. Folks, that's, that's not a church. Let's welcome everyone the fibs and everyone, to the table, a table of community with one another. And so there are two simple things I'm asking you to engage in today's tale of the table. Pull up to the table in unity with Jesus and take your place at the table regularly, reveling in God's grace. There's plenty of room. There's an empty chair with your name on it somewhere in an assembly of saints in a life group. Find it. And then secondly, pull up to the table in community with others. Take in the spiritual food from God's Word. Fellowship with others. Filling your spiritual stomach for each week's demands, not only of the spiritual food God provides, but in the context of one another. Don't go hungry for food or fellowship and starve spiritually. Take opportunities at table time each week in worship and 
in fellowship, to build up one another. There's not a person under the sound of my voice who couldn't use some encouragement. You see, there are fibs all around us who need to be told, come to the table. Come to the table. When our children were at home, our fam time at the dinner table each night was a time of affirmation and encouragement. Seldom was heard a discouraging word because we built each other up, not tearing each other down. That's a picture of church, folks. Your body is made up of billions of molecules, many of them various proteins. There's one protein molecule called laminin, and if you would Google it, you would see a picture of it. This particular molecule is the body's cell adhesion molecule, or the glue that holds you together. Without laminin, you literally would fall apart. And the scientific diagram of this particular molecule, if you look it up, is in the shape of a cross. Wow. If you think that's cool, they have taken a microscopic picture of laminin that holds us together, and it too is in the shape of a cross. Not only is the particular molecule numbered like that and shaped like that, it really looks like that. The Hubble telescope took a picture of the nearby spiral galaxy M51, which has the equivalent to one million stars the size of our sun. And guess what? It too, in the picture of a cross. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So at the table, we are glued to Jesus by his grace. We are joined together as co-heirs, family members, members of God's family in community, unity with Jesus and community with others. You know, there was a time when people asked, is Christianity true? They're not asking that much anymore. What they're asking is, is Christianity real? Does it work? And so let's show the world that it works. You see, you used to believe and then belong and then behave. Now you belong, believe, and behave. We had a neighbor in Oklahoma, bad to the bone. In fact, he uh, hired a hitman to kill his ex-wife. Couldn't get him to come to church, so we invited him to a party we had at the church. We had we had fun. We had a party every year. We have a this big party, just hang time. And so we came, and he was so influenced by just a time at the table that he decided to, for the first time in his life, walk in a Protestant church. And he did, and the Spirit of God got a hold of him. He didn't know what was appropriate. He just ran down the aisle and just prostrated himself there at the altar, just just hit the floor, humbled by the grace of God. That should be you and me, friend. Mephibosheth at the table, humbled by God's grace, and then being a part of community. And the last person I led to the Lord was his granddaughter as he went on a mission trip with us. Change lives at the table. May it change your life with Jesus and others. 
Have a great weekend. I love you. God loves you. See you next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.